You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Hello and welcome back to Polkbox Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Finley. I'm your other host, Michael Cohen. And we are on episode number 14, and we are going to be talking about three books today. Uh, the Cowboy Wally Show by Kyle Baker. Uh, Daredevil by Kevin Smith and Joe Quesada, and Fables by Bill Willingham and Len Medina, I think, I can't remember. We'll double-check that in a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Boy, it's been a busy month for us, and I think I I barely squeaked through getting all my books read this month. Hence why it's it's July when we're recording our June episode. Exactly, yes. uh, We're going to be a few days late on this, and we apologize, but um, at the same time... We don't apologize because this is our thing and we get to do what we want. Yeah, and I'm sure you guys will forgive us. You probably um, don't even know that it's late. <laughs> no, no. Uh, if we hadn't said anything, you wouldn't have noticed. But we said something, so now you know. Now you know. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, it has, it's been hectic. It's been crazy. We've both been kind of up to things. Uh, Part of it's uh, the weather. We, I, I know that Yeah. I've been spending a lot more time outside because it's so nice. Um, my kids force me to. I don't usually like going outside, so but they do, so I kind of have to. Um, yeah, it has, it has actually. It's been really nice in Vancouver the last little while, which isn't really comic book reading weather. You know what I mean? Like it's. You know, I take them, I my, I have a little kiddie pool outside, and so my kids get to splash around in that, and I bring my books outside and oh, I yeah? read them. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I I, I have I feel, I feel like I just haven't had the time to read this month and i think that was one of the major reasons for the delay was just that like yeah like, there just wasn't that much time it's true to read but uh but we're here now and we're going to talk about these books and i i think we ended up with a pretty good crop it's a very different set of books yes and um and we can start with my book and i pick something that is going into very different territory than we've ever gone in uh, in stuff that we've read in, here in Pullbox podcast, mainly because it's a funny book. It actually yeah. is. It puts the comedy and comic book. Um, the Cowboy Wally Show. I'll give you a little bit of a history here. It's by Kyle Baker, um, who these days he's kind of known for um, his revamp of Plastic Man that he did for DC a few years back. Um, but he's been doing he's been doing comics since the '80s and Cowboy Wally is his very first graphic novel. Um, before that, he did penciling work for DC. Uh, what was he on? I can't remember what he was on, but he, he'd worked for... I think he started as an intern for Marvel and then went to art school and did some work there and eventually became known as just a guy that does funny graphic novels because hmm. he's done a lot of them and he's won Eisner Awards, like 14 of them for his work. Um so he's uh, he's definitely one of those high guys in the industry, and Cowboy Wally um, is uh, yeah his his first full length graphic novel. He, he he's done stuff before this, but it was all kind of shorter stuff, um, which paved the way. It's kind of one of those first books 
in the um, just in that underground alternative scene that wasn't mm. superheroes, but it also wasn't like kids comics either. That kind of um, helped pave the way to becoming to to a lot of the the new stuff that you see that the creator own stuff that you see now. Um, it was also published by Doubleday, which um, which didn't do comics. They were just a regular book publisher, and they took a chance on this guy, and people didn't know what to think of it at the time. Um, a lot of people now still don't know what to think of it, <laughs> um, but it, um, it, it broke new ground um, by being one of the early comics that you could find in bookstores rather than just in comic shops. Okay. Um, yeah. Cowboy Wally is about a guy named Cowboy Wally who manages to wrangle himself into a TV network and this book is um, it is basically an interview about Cowboy Wally's network and, and uh, why why people love it or hate it and what makes him so charismatic and mm-hmm. um, yeah the the it's broken down into kind of four sections and the first section is an, it introduces us to the interview concept um, of him being interviewed yeah um, and talking about how he got his network and kind of kind of a this is your life style documentary um, then it, the second and third chapters take you through a couple of his different productions uh, a little bit of behind the scenes work uh, work and then the last one is um, like a variety show um, yeah a variety show that he did um, yeah yeah kind it's of kind of like an episode of like a Johnny Carson or exactly or David Letterman <laughs> sort of thing and like all of his stuff it just goes terribly wrong and yeah. um, the 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 thing about this is that um, the thing that makes it so funny is that Cowboy Wally is he is um, totally obnoxious. He's oblivious a lot of times, kind of condescending. Um, doesn't know he's full of himself, but he doesn't know that pe- that he's just not good at anything he does. Um, and because of that, the productions that he produces are just really funny and offbeat yeah. and stuff. Um, the first time I read this, which was um, probably about six months ago. I just loved it. I just thought it was so funny. The it his writing is um, he's got a very black and, and dark sense of humor, um, very witty, very pointed. Um, he's poking a lot of fun at the entertainment industry and a lot of fun at Walt Disney and his entertainment industry as well. There's yeah. a lot of pokes and jabs at that, um, and and I and I love the art style. I think it's um. It's subtle in some ways and ex- extremely extreme in in other ways. Got a very wide, wide uh, basis, and I think it's good commentary, also on just um, all access television and and the cable networks that where it's just a guy that does kind of whatever he wants to do. Yeah. So what 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 was the time frame that this was published in? This was nineteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight. Okay. So I, I think I think when you put that into context of of nineteen eighty eight. Um, it's actually kind of a little bit ahead of its time because it, it is very much talking about sort of, uh, the, the, which all commonplace stuff now, but like the ridiculousness of Hollywood and, and, um, and, and TV and film production. And like you said, the poking jabs at, at Disney yeah. and that sort of thing. Like, I, I think the, the mid to late eighties was when that was sort of just starting to happen. And I think well, and Disney comic, had fallen at that time. Yeah. Like they, Disney died in the sixties and from the sixties to eighties, the companies kept on going kind of down, 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 down. And, and to the point where now they can look, they, 
look back at the good times and and kind of make fun of the yeah that point in history. Um, something else popped into my mind. Oh yeah, um, Weird Al Yankovic's movie UHF came yes. out in nineteen eighty nine, and it's pretty much the same thing as this. A guy kind of falls into a TV network and it just kind of pokes fun at that whole industry yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of people that are that were noticing this and talking about it at the time. Um, your thoughts on the book? Um, so I don't know. I, I had a, I had a really hard time getting through it. I, especially that first chapter. And then you, you had told me that I could sort of just skim over, skip the second chapter. Um, the Hamlet part was, was pretty good up until the point that it got into being Hamlet. And then it was just, (laughs) and then it was just like sort of a really dumbed down cliff notes of Hamlet, which like, I guess I'm just kind of on Lenny's side of like like it's Hamlet like you don't really need to dumb it down it's kind of good the way it is, but right. um uh, and th- but the last chapter I I kind of enjoyed the most I think yeah um the first the first chapter was just a little bit too set up punchline set up punchline okay. set up punchline so there is a reason for that okay because the when he went to pitch this he originally pitched it as strips okay which is why you get the each page feels like a a bit of a strip like each page has a punchline yeah and the punchline is the tv show or that he's talking about or whatever and so then he pitched that to the people to this publisher and they wanted a full like 150 pages or whatever it is so then he had to come up with the other chapters that are more narrative i think that that's really interesting because basically the narrative of the book is is and, and, and Cowboy Wally has no integrity, so you can't really call it compromised art. But <laughs> he he sort of embodies that idea of just like just pump out entertainment, just do it right. Um, and so for the the idea that he would want to do uh, basically a weekly strip with this character, and then he goes to the publisher, and the publisher says no, do a hundred and fifty page book. And for me. 150 page book of Cowboy Wally a little bit much right <laughs> well, which is why Stri- I think strips are okay like I like the character I kind of like the setup and and the conceit I like I especially like a lot of the supporting characters I really right. like his agent like he's yeah. my favorite character <laughs> in the whole book um, but and there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that would work really well in that weekly strip format of like sort of callback jokes and and recurring gags where it's like if you were reading that every week it's like okay that i was i was actually saying to crystal when we were talking about this book while i was reading it um it's kind of, it's a little bit like reading a book full of garfield gags by the sixth one you're like we get it he doesn't like mondays right Right, yeah. it doesn't really for well, me. It just doesn't really make a book. And that's the first chapter, or that's the whole thing. That's kind of the whole thing because he does change. Like that's why it changes up. Yeah. Um, and like Sands, Sands of Blood focuses on the actual movie, which has a yeah. series of different gags. Yeah. Um, and same with Hamlet. Like it the does, whole process it, of him getting thrown in jail. It does always kind of come back to the same thing, though, because For like sure. there's the the joke about like, well, I've seen you eat. Right, the the punchline of like, oh well, you know, he told me that was canceled. It's like, aren't you angry about that? And well, no, I've seen you eat, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's it's a very vaudeville thing, and and I get yeah. the comedy. It's very like Abbott and Costello, who's on first, yeah, sort of definitely. thing, which I enjoy. But um, 
I think I think it needs it needs actual commercial breaks. It needs actual beats to breathe in between. When you're reading it under the gun, it's not a fun read. That's, <laughs> that's that was I sort guess of that's my true. When I first it. read it, I did pick it up and put it down several times. Yeah. Like I, I would come back to it. I didn't read it all in one sitting. But yeah. I mean, it was probably over a course of a week. When I say I plow through it, I probably plow through a chapter at a time. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's that's what needs to happen. I don't think that he was intending it to be a weekly strip. He, okay. I think he was just intending intending that that was going to be the the basis okay, of the so book, or like how he was going to put it together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, because I mean, like, there's a, I don't think that we'll ever pick up a Garfield book and 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 use that as a pull for uh, for an, an episode of Pullbox because uh, as much fun as it is to read Garfield comics. Um, it gets a, it gets to be a little bit much, right? Like especially unless they do a Garfield and zombies. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, you know, there's always there's always a good reason. Um, I the 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 flip side to that sort of argument that I would make is just there's sort of the two comic strips that I think most people point to, and it's either Garfield or it's the Peanuts, right? And for what I would have liked to have seen was a little bit more um a little bit more content in Cowboy Wally like you get in Peanuts where Peanuts is very much it's a strip so it's it's three panels for the most part and it's sort of four like panels. oh sorry four panels yeah so you kind of have like that you're you're set up and then you punchline right um and every week it's kind of it's kind of that idea but i uh, but there's a heart to peanuts and they're sort of like every every strip has a bit of a message like there's something to sort of think on and with cowboy wally i found myself going like you're not really making any points that they have any deep underlying meaning here but like that's everything's because kind it's of out on cowboy street. wally though yeah, right? yeah because yeah, yeah. he he is not a deep person and he's very superficial yeah. and, and so it's just it's just a little bit of pointed commentary but it's not yeah. i don't think it's supposed to go deep at all i i just think i just think i would have enjoyed it a little bit more if there was if there was just a little bit more of a through line because i felt like the characters the characters weren't really real you know what i mean like there was never any sort of like um sense of the universe it was always winking at the camera right. and for me when like it's fine to wink at the camera every once in a while i mean fables does it fables yeah. winks at the camera constantly but it does it in a much more subtle way, and like yeah. they quite literally wink at the camera. Well, of course, because the camera times. is there it, yeah, because it's, it's an the, interview style, story, and but... and Cowboy Wally knows that. Yeah, and so he is absolutely yeah. winking at the camera on purpose. Yeah, the whole time, like, and that it influences the fact that he knows that we're reading this yeah. or watching this um, influences everything he says as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that. Um, I thought you were going to find it so funny, and I thought you were going to yeah. get a kick out of it. So it is interesting to see, I, to I, see your reaction. To I this. would, I, I chuckle every now and then because a joke would would be pretty good. But I don't know a a lot of it, a lot of it kind of just fell flat for me because after I sort of unlocked it, it's it's always that thing of like the Wizard of Oz. Once you see that the that that you know Oz is just a man behind a curtain, the the magic disappears. And it's like I can't watch Christopher Nolan movies anymore because I know all of his tricks, right? Like, so what is the trick here? In it's Cowboy it's Wally? it's the setup punchline. So instead of 
instead of reading the the joke or like going along on the journey with the joke instead of being with the characters you're just looking around the corner waiting for the punchline to come right so you're like uh, i know the last panel is the punch I, I know because because when you it's impossible to read a comic book and not look at like glance at the bottom of the page right? <laughs> right and this is one of the things with comic books and when when a when an artist and writer can work and get that that sort of uh, the, uh, it's a terrible word for it but synergy going of of words and art working in tandem along with the medium itself so that you get things like like an action sequence that builds and builds and builds and then you flip the page and it's a double splash page yeah and it's you know it's a big explosion and and that works and it 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 propels the story right um if if you're sort of not paying attention to that sort of stuff and you're just laying all of your cards out on one page time and time again i mean i think there's probably a good six pages in the first chapter that are pretty pretty much the same thing it's a it's a well what about this show it had horrible ratings and was a terrible show and people didn't like it and he goes yeah but you don't understand it was this and then and then they show a clip of it and then the last panel is brought to you by this this product here's a pun based on that product (laughs) Right, and it was like it, it just like the formula became really apparent. Yeah. Um. In that first, in that first but, chapter. But that was intentional. It was intentional, but I don't think it works. Oh, like, okay. like it, it, it. I think, I think, I. Uh, I think that made it. The I think fart jokes in movies are sometimes intention, or most of the time intentional. Yeah. I think ninety nine percent of the time they're intentional, but they just for me like it just generally doesn't work because you, if a character just farts, I mean like. I'll 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 go into a bit of a controversial place with this and say the new <laughs> Ghostbusters movie that's coming out. It's Paul Feig and uh, Melissa McCarthy is in it. So you know at some point in this movie she's gonna she's do gonna some, some. There's gonna be some sort of toilet humor with her. Yeah. And she's gonna fall over. Those are two notes that it's gonna hit because she does it in every one of his movies. I haven't seen Spy yet because I don't really want to. I actually I didn't see. I didn't see uh, the heat either, but I'm I'm almost positive that that stuff was in the trailer, <laughs> right? So it's like it that it it just when it's that telegraphed and when it's sort of that played out, it just doesn't work for me. Right. It just doesn't work for me. Like like I say, like the later stuff, the the Hamlet, and then the and then the last chapter with the with the late night show, um, they definitely worked a little bit better, but. I still found myself a lot of the time going like, get to the point, get to the point, get to the point. Yeah, I, yes, that's a funny pun. Yes, that's a funny recurring joke. Get to the point, get to the point, but get to the point. I think the point is that there is no point. I mean, it, yeah. it reads like, like if you're like like Arrested Development. Sure. Um, where all of like you go through each episode of Arrested Development, and there really isn't a whole, there isn't really any point. Uh-huh. Um, to any of those episodes, but they all are jokes that become recurring jokes, and they all compound on each other, so that by the end yeah. you have, um, uh, not counting season four, you have an, a masterpiece of a comedy series. Yeah. And I think that's similar here. I mean, not of course not as polished as the rest of the development is, but you you have those. It all builds to its grand finale, yeah. and none of it has a point. Um, because it's not supposed to have a point. It's just comedy. It's a screwball comedy. 
Yeah, it just didn't. It just didn't come together into anything for yeah. me, and I think that yeah. that was one of the biggest issues. And you know, me. it's his first piece of work. Yeah. So that could have something to do with it as well. It might be interesting to see the, what the, he goes on to. Like I said, like for. each joke taken on its own is a solid joke. Yeah. Right. Like I don't have any problem with the comedy. I, I brought up fart jokes, and I don't like that. That sort of would make it sound like I think that this is fart jokes. But it's it's not like the comedy is clever comedy. Yeah, it was just very much like early on it was formulaic. the The Hamlet thing bugged me because they sort of again it was telegraphed where like the whole time Lenny's going like, but we're just making a mockery of this. Why are we doing this? And then you get to the Hamlet part. They do the Hamlet part, and other than some of the sight gags because they're filming it in a prison. In a week. Uh, yeah, in a week. Like, other than that, you take all the time to go all the way through Hamlet. Right, and, it's and all like, the dialogue. It probably doesn't need... And that's yeah, what bogs... Yeah, it, it was um, kind of unnecessary. That's what me. bogs the book down with Sands of Blood as well, the second yeah. chapter, which is the French Foreign Legion film. Yeah. Um, because it, it that does the same sort of thing. Um, it's... We don't care actually about the movie. Yeah. Because the movie's awful. So yeah. why, why do we need to read the movie? Um, which which is like a lo- a lot of it is like and then we had this bad idea let us talk about this bad idea for two pages and it's like no you told me it was a bad idea why are you making me sit through it right yeah and, and I didn't so mind that though the, that stuff. just the the just the banter back and forth I I yeah. didn't mind that at all and that's and then they give us a little snippet of why it was a bad show and why it was funny yeah. in that context yeah. and uh, um that. Just the snippets, I, I would have been fine, actually, if the whole book was just that that first chapter, yeah. ex- even extended. I don't think it needed to go further, although I did enjoy the last chapter as well quite a bit. Um, I don't know. I, I, it, uh, I, I still think it's going to be a permanent spot on my bookshelf there. It's, it's yeah. great. <laughs> and I almost, I saw a cheap copy of it and I almost bought it for you saying, oh, I should just get this for Mike, he's going to love it. So I'm glad I didn't <laughs> buy that for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Well, well, good. I'm glad we talked about it because that's it's still uh, it's it's still worth talking about. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, it's it's always good to 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 check out this other stuff and and like I, I, I I'm sure there there are comedy books out there that that will land a little bit better for me. But you know, and through this whole process, way. I'm trying to pick books that I think you will like. Yeah. That will that are out of your personal bubble. Yeah. Um, and so I've done that with like Pyongyang. I did that and, yeah. and and stuff like that. And and this was another one. And so I'm just gonna try and keep picking funny books until I find yeah. the one that you yeah. that you really like. So I'll, I, th- I think I'll throw I think you'll I think you'll find it. I think you'll you'll find it. it's out there somewhere. I mean, like somebody's written something that that works well for me. I'm trying to think if I have any like. I don't know if I is I like I guess Scott Pilgrim's the closest thing to a funny book, and that's really more superhero, video gamey action stuff. Right. But it's still, uh, yeah, it's not straight up comedy. Like yeah. this is a cl- like you said vaudeville, and this is yeah. like classic nineteen thirties yeah. vaudeville yeah, or screwball comedy. Um, like Abbott, and, I, I actually thought Abbott and Costello the same the same time uh, this, uh, as I was reading this as well. Yeah. And there's one joke. There's very, it's because there is, there's a lot of Abbott and Costello type jokes. That back and forth humor. Where, yeah, where it's not, like, you don't, you don't know that it's a joke until the third time somebody says it and then you start to go, oh, oh, this is a joke. 
like this is this is yeah. uh, this is a setup. This is a really really long setup. So like in the third, sorry, in the fourth chapter, and at the at the end, the late night thing, the first time that the the woman turns to him and is like, "Is this a skit?" Yeah, you think that that's the joke, right? And it's like that's not the joke. The joke is him turning and going, "No, it's not a skit." While the guy's got a gun pointed at his head, and then the guy with the gun getting angry that he's being ignored because yeah. that's why he's mad in the first place. And so like the first time it happens, you're like, Oh, that's kind of cute. And then you, you keep reading. And then on the next page towards the bottom of the page, it happens again. Yeah. And then you keep going and, and it's sort of like the beats get closer together as it goes. Yeah. And, and it gets to a point where like, they're just having a conversation and the other guys like on the other side, just screaming like, for attention. Yeah. Like somebody yeah. pay attention to me. Um, it is so, that like yeah. I, they, they are like I said like the comedy is solid comedy. I just I think it might it might have actually worked better as a TV show like as a as a performed thing because sometimes right. the 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 timing is hard to it's hard to manage when somebody's reading it because people read at different paces people read in different ways so um, that might be it is just like the voice that you heard might have delivered it a little bit better That's than the voice that I be. heard, right? Yeah, well, and I do watch a lot of 1930s comedies. Like, I love those. I love them so much. And Abbott and Castell and such. Um, yeah. So maybe I just have a... I have a different sense of that, that time of year. I don't know. Yeah. yeah it, that's an interesting point, actually. It's, it, I, think, I think it really does come down to personal taste, right? It is. Because yeah. I do... I, I enjoy... I enjoy vaudevillian humor. Like I, I, I love a good running gag, and I really, really, really like a long setup to a joke. But <laughs> yeah. the problem with the long setup to a joke is that um, I really like it when it catches me by surprise, like which is hard to find. But a lot of the time, um, I just saw Ted Two on on Tuesday night, and I, I Seth MacFarlane another fan of 1930s comedy and just just sort of culture um because uh the the movie starts the movie starts this is a bit of a spoiler but the movie the 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 the, sort of the plot happens and then uh the credits start to roll and unlike most movies nowadays which roll the credits at the end in the (laughs) 30s actually all the way up until star wars which was the first movie to do it um, to get away with it, I should say. Really? Uh, yeah. I uh, the credits had to play at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of movies in, in towards like the the early to mid seventies would just sort of like play them over the action, right? But before that, in the in the thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties, you would have title sequences at the beginning of a movie, and like an you do a TV show. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so the Ted Two it starts with like after you've set up the premise with sort of like your Indiana Jones. I, I temple teaser oh, at the yeah. beginning of the movie it goes into this huge elaborate ridiculous <laughs> musical number with a teddy bear dancing at the and it's like a it's it's like a fred astaire like fred astaire danced with jerry mouse yeah at, at one point so it's, it's probably it's very much that sort of thing of like which of actually, Ted yeah. just kind of going and it goes and you're like oh this is pretty funny he really likes these because this is how Family Guy opens as well. And then yeah. it keeps going. And you're like, well, punchline at the end of this is going to be real good. 
And then it keeps going. And this is why I don't like Seth MacFarlane. And then it stops. And then it's just and then it just ends. Yeah. Like it's just he goes through the whole thing. And That's, the yeah. joke is that it's in the movie at all. Right? <laughs> that like in a modern comedy he's got this whole yeah. So like to me, like that is a that's a long, long setup for a very flat joke that like six people in a theater of a hundred even get. Yeah. Right. Like, cause you have to know, like you'd have, you'd have to actually care about, which most people going to see Ted too, they're going to see <laughs> yeah. a stoner comedy. Right. So, right. so like, I, I do like that kind of stuff, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. This, this one just didn't, uh, didn't hit for me, but fair enough. I really enjoyed Ted too, though. <laughs> okay. Well, really that's fun. good. I, uh, I'm, I'm not a Seth MacFarlane fan myself, no. so I'm not, I, didn't check out the first one, and I won't check out this one either. <laughs> That's fair. Yep. Um, uh, okay, next. Next, so I guess we'll, we'll jump into... <laughs> let's go to the polar opposite end of the spectrum and talk about Daredevil, uh, uh, the man without fear, Guardian Devil, if that's enough subtitles for you. Right. Uh, written by Kevin Smith, uh, illustrated by, by uh, Joe Caseta. Uh, who's actually he's he's the the EIC at Marvel now like he's the head honcho. Yep, it um, was it wasn't too long after this book actually that he no. moved up the ladder quite quickly. Um and uh this was one of the first books for Marvel Knights yeah. which uh which was an imprint under Marvel where uh where writers and artists were allowed to take standard Marvel properties, uh most notably Daredevil and Punisher. And take them sort of to their their darkest places. Um, this is also Kevin Smith's first comic book. This is the first one that he ever wrote. Oh, that um, makes sense. It's it's uh, from I think nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. So a little bit of Marvel so, history is that on the onslaught thing just happened. Okay. And um, in that one, a bunch of the heroes got placed in a little pocket universe wherever, and so those creators got to reboot those characters from the start like that was yeah, when jim lee came reborn. back and yeah. stuff and then so and that really kind of signaled a start of a new era for comic books in general i think to go yeah. this darker path um and that's where and then marvel knights um as those heroes disappeared uh and went into their little pocket universe marvel knights came around as well yeah. and um those two lines though those two yeah. imprints kind of combined it, it ushered in this new era of darker grittier superheroes yeah um and i think i think that 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 this book may be one of the best things that kevin smith has ever written um it doesn't have a whole lot of his voice in it it's definitely in there in the in the narrator bubbles which i well we've kind of talked about narrator voices uh, previously on the podcast they're mostly gone from comics nowadays most yeah. of the time it's inner monologue right which there's definitely inner, inner monologue, monologue in this that's but, what the narration is uh no there's also there's also an omniscient narrator oh really yeah oh, so i i it switch like it it doesn't come in very often but it does come in every now and then okay where it's it's a it's a third party narrator and when it's the third party narrator it is kevin smith's voice um, yeah, That's... but a lot of it's a lot of it is inner monologue from characters, um, but but like his Matt Murdock is I uh, we you just talked about Daredevil on the Thunder Quack Roundtable about a month ago, um, 
the the Matt Murdock in the Daredevil Netflix series, I think, borrows a lot this yeah. from this Matt Murdock. Yep, this um, this comic book definitely influenced a lot yeah. of the Netflix series. Yeah, a lot of tone. Uh, the the plot line. Not oh, so no, no, much. It's like completely they're, they're, different. Yeah, this has its own unique plot. But the take on the characters. But yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely like sort of the tone of Daredevil's uh, corner of New York and uh, the way that he fits in amongst the rest of the superheroes, I think is is very much taken from this. Um, and, and Kevin Smith is is grounding the, the, the sort of the, the foundation that Frank Miller had put in a few years before yeah, with his run on Yeah, it Daredevil. really feels a lot like, especially with the dialogue, feels a lot like Frank Miller. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and I think that that's yeah. one of the reasons why it loses a little bit of that Kevin Smithness. Because, like, when you read when you read Quiver, which is his Green Arrow story that he wrote, there's a lot of Kevin Smith in there. Um, there's a lot of quippy one-liners, and there's a lot of because that's the type of character. Yeah, Green yeah. Arrow is. So it, it's really lent to that character, and it feels like a Kevin Smith thing. I think if you took his name off of this book and handed it to any random person, they'd be yeah, like, "Oh, that sure. was really cool." Um, you it's wrote only, Frank Miller. <laughs> yeah, it's only when you when you know that it's Kevin Smith that you're sort of, and if you're a Kevin Smith fan, that you're or. I should say, or if you hate Kevin Smith, um, uh, if you're on one of those polar <laughs> extremes uh, uh, that understands or, or knows Kevin Smith's cadence, you kind of pick it up here and there. But well, especially uh, with his um, religious themes, yeah, he, he ties that into almost everything. Yeah, he does. so he he wrote this, uh, I believe, while he was doing post on dogma oh yeah um so they were kind of, there's a little bit of a of a, a, a interweaving there right um and uh, dogma is sort of his his uh religious epic i guess yeah. I, I don't know it's, it's so a, good i love it uh, dogma is one of my favorite movies of yeah. all time um but he he brings in the all of this religious uh specifically christian iconography um to play against Matt Murdock being Matt Murdock famously being Catholic yeah. and, uh, and, and being daredevil, which is sort I mean, the, it's, it's right the in the title. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's guardian devil, which is a play on guardian angel. Right. Yeah. Um, because he really is like the devil of hell's kitchen is, is their guardian he's devil. He, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the one who, who keeps the kitchen safe. So, um, yeah, I, I it's, it's, like I said, I think it's one of the best things, if not the best thing he's ever written. Because, uh, especially, and I'm I'm glad I didn't remember anything from it particularly. I just remembered that I really liked it, so I was like, I'm gonna pick it, and uh, and I'm and I'm gonna see what Curtis thinks. Um, so and I didn't I have an opportunity well. to. to I, okay, you I read it when it well. was new. Okay. And I hadn't read it since, so I totally forgot about who the mystery villain is. <laughs> mystery being the, mystery the cat villain. with a capital M, right? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I was sort of halfway through it that I started to put the pieces together again, having already read it, and going like, oh yeah, this is one of the best turnarounds for a character in Marvel Comics history, I think. Yeah. Because, and, and like you said, like this, this era was sort of the beginning of the modern comics age yeah. that we're in right now. Actually, I think we might be on the cusp of a brand new one. Oh, uh, with New Fifty Two, and now with uh, the post Secret Wars. Well, yeah, um, that could be. But I, uh, th- this this idea of taking characters who 
were previously jokes and not making them a joke anymore. So yeah. Mysterio turns out to be the guy who's behind all this, which is a great... I can only imagine what it would have been like to read this in issues because you're going through it and you think that Daredevil is up against some... Honestly, I thought it was the Purple Man for the longest time. Rereading yeah. this now, not remembering who the mystery villain is, I thought it was the Purple Man because he's a standard Daredevil villain. Yeah. He does yeah. the mind control thing, yeah. and that's who I thought it was. And yeah. then all of a sudden, boom, it's not. So Surprise. and and you think that like it's or it's like this the these celestial implications of like could this be an actual because it's right. it's Marvel Comics. It could be anything yeah. and everything is and always I, on the table. I right? think Punisher went down that road in Marvel Knights as well. Did like he, he okay. became an angel of some sort i can't remember okay yeah and uh, but uh, you get to the point where uh where he goes to dr strange yeah and i think like this is one of those great things where it's a fan of comics writing comics which yeah. is very much the era we're in right now um because this is totally this is totally kevin smith going like you know who i always like to see on the page together these two characters who have nothing in common because they don't. And it's like, it's yeah. so cool to have this, uh, uh, daredevil has this weird sixth sense by virtue of the fact that he's blind and, and the chemical compounds that blinded him. So he's got these, this extra sensory ability, but it's very much based in science and reality. And then Doctor Strange also has extrasensory abilities, but they're 100% mystical and cosmic. Yeah. So, where Daredevil is like, I'm at the end of my rope. I can't see through this. Like he's, he's blind. Even with all of his superpowers, he's blind to what's going on. And and Doctor Strange is like, yeah, you've been you've been dosed with with a chemical. Like it couldn't simple be simple as that. <laughs> it couldn't be more pedestrian yeah. for him, right? But it sort of he has to go to the master of the mystic arts in order to find out that he's just been drugged. Like, that's what it is the whole time. And that's when you start to unravel everything and you start realizing that, like, that Daredevil's being played the whole time. It's not actually anything mystical. There's nothing magic about any of it. And you start putting together, like, who's who's the one character out of all of the characters in the Marvel Universe that could trick you into thinking something is real? And uh, and the reveal that it's Mysterio. And that, that Mysterio's got... He, he has cancer from all of the which is so great of all all the latex and the chemicals that he's made for all of his stupid schemes over the years have have basically rotted his insides um so rather than go after the spider-man for one last time he's like no i'm gonna turn my attention to somebody else um so it's it's one of those comics that builds on the rich history of the characters involved but goes in a completely new direction new place with it which yeah. is what i love what did you think <laughs> um i i thought it was a it was a fun read to to revisit it and and it just seems so familiar i mean this is the yeah this is kind of the the era that i that i really grew up in and where marvel formed where i formed my love of marvel i guess yeah. at, at this point uh, i mean it, it started back in it started back in the early 90s but by the time Marvel got to this point, I was now becoming an adult. And so the comics, I think, were yeah. also becoming adults at the same time. And and uh, so it holds a special place for me here. Um, it was, uh, especially now seeing, recently seeing the Daredevil show, um, yeah. it was great to visit this again as well. Um, the story, I thought, um, 
I thought really like you like we were saying the dialogue really bogs it down. Yeah. I think that the pacing could have been a lot better if um well if a lot of that narration was cut in half, but yeah. Kevin Smith likes to use words. Yeah. Um and he sure filled his quota there. That's that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's a writer's writer. It's a heavy book because <laughs> even well, even and, when you just yeah. sort of look at it like it it it, it it's the same size as a lot of graphic novels, but whenever I hold it in my hand, it just feels that much more dense, and well, I think and it's I th- all the words. I think it's seven issues. Yeah, or, it, or it, eight it, issues. It's, it's seven or eight. It's a little bit... So it's a little bit bigger. It's a little bigger than normal. But not only is the dialogue dense, but the art is really dense, too, yeah. so it takes a lot of work to actually look at what we're looking at. Yeah. Um, and and then the story is incredibly dense too. We're just dealing with heavy themes of yeah. um, good and evil, and, and yeah. uh, wrestling with with supernatural or, or cosmic beings, yeah. or uh, and then everything that Karen Page is going through as well. Like it's just it's so it's so heavy. Yeah. Um, which I think was a quite a shock at the time for people to read. Uh, oh yeah, I'm so sure in, in 1998 for people to read about a character, a comic book character that they know and love. I mean, if you were a Daredevil fan prior to reading this book, uh, having the shocker of Karen Page being HIV positive is like, that's, that's a, a, today, I don't think that we'd be as shocked by something like that happening in the pages of Marvel or DC, but at the time it was definitely, it, it was definitely a big deal. Um, Kevin Smith actually kind of goes back to that well when he writes Quiver. Uh, oh, does he? Uh, yeah, I read I, Quiver a long time ago. I can't remember his that the Speedy much. that he introduces, um, uh, Mia Dearden. Oh yeah, uh, she she's a drug user, and I think at some point she ends up with with some disease. I can't I can't remember exactly, but and I don't know if it all happens in Quiver, but it's sort of it's kind of all set up like she's a junkie. She's very like there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> Isn't that uh, that seems to be the case with all of green arrows sidekicks <laughs> uh yeah that does tend to happen um but yeah it, it i i think it's interesting to see joe quesada drawing uh, a comic and i know like that's kind of that's that's his thing but uh him being the, the editor-in-chief over at marvel now and and i personally feel uh being really responsible for a lot of the progressive stuff that marvel's done in the last few years um and for really pushing that sort well, of stuff, they, that agenda. He was the guy that I, I really think got them out of their slump. Yeah. Because at this point, they were also declaring bankruptcy. I yeah. think they were owned yeah. by Toy Biz for a while at yeah. this point, and and they 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 just weren't doing well. Yeah. And um, I don't know who put him in charge, but they put him in charge, and yeah. he he cut most of the titles. Yeah. And rebuilt Marvel Comics from the ground up, and and and. and basically saved their lives <laughs> yeah yeah and i uh, i mean uh, that that era of marvel's history is what we have to thank for uh spider-man the x-men and the rest of the marvel universe and fantastic four all being sort of sold off piecemeal i uh, i uh, to these different studios they had to why, it was a necessity yeah, at the yeah, time to keep to them survive. alive so um so it's unfortunate that that's the way that it went but uh but marvel I think Marvel right now is at the top of its game. I think it's as big as it's ever been, if not bigger, with these Thanks movies. Thanks to the movies, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think that the comics have been benefiting by Joe Quesada's influence. Um, 
giving people a lot of good jumping on points, uh, new characters to get invested in, um, and really supporting the idea of diversity in comics, in mainstream comics. I think diversity has been around in in the indie scene for, for a lot longer. But, um, but for Marvel and DC, it's been a little bit more of an uphill battle because they do have th- this legacy of characters. Um, but I think that, 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 that taking the legacy and building on a legacy in a really, really, uh, I, I think groundbreaking, but, but still respectful way started with Marvel Knights. I think this is one, cause, cause DC has tried to go this route. Um, they had done stuff previous to that, I guess, with, you know, the Dark Knight Returns and that sort of thing, but DC has always played with kid gloves in that respect by calling that stuff Elseworlds. Right. And Marvel has their what-ifs, but with Marvel Knights, Marvel sort of stepped out and went, not every part of the Marvel Universe is shiny and happy like Spider-Man. It's not fun adventure like the X-Men. It's not crazy fantastic science like the fantastic four there are dark corners to this world and in those dark corners there are characters like daredevil and the punisher and it fleshed out their world and i think in the 90s um marvel had the the uh identity of being the much more realistic and more grounded version of of those two ideas of, of yeah. a world with superheroes. Yeah. Because DC has always kind of been more on the cosmic, uh, uh, grand scale, the epic scale, uh, with characters like Superman. And, uh, and, and Marvel has always kind of been a little bit more about the your street-level crime fighters like Spider-Man and Daredevil and, and that sort of thing. So um, They have their cosmic side too, though. Oh, That's they definitely have big. their cosmic <laughs> side as well. But uh, but but I think that their bigger properties have always been the characters that can throw on a leather jacket and hang out in a bar, right? You know, and that was Stanley's intention right from the get go yeah. when he created yeah. Fantastic Four. Um, like that was the intention. He wanted real people, yeah, having real problems. Um, he, he didn't want just the Superman and Batman that that the the world had come to know the yeah. bullets bounce off their chest and everything's hunky dory. They do and, everything. And the with a worlds smile. that they live in, the cities that they inhabit are fantastical in their own rights. I mean yeah. Gotham City is as much a character as anything else. We've talked about that on previous podcasts. But the the Marvel characters inhabit New York and San Francisco. Yeah. Right? Like they're they live in the same world that we live in for and Asgard. <laughs> and Asgard. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I Daredevil, Guardian Devil, I think is is I'm, I I haven't read a lot of Daredevil, but it is it is one of my favorite Marvel stories. It's definitely my favorite Daredevil story that I've read, um, involving him. It sort of hits all the notes that you want it to. Yeah, I, well, you should check out uh, Frank Miller's Born Again. Yeah, that one's good too. Um, as well as Bendis took over um yeah. ap- shortly after this yeah. book, I think, and um. The, his first couple arcs I read, and they were they're quite excellent as well. Yeah, um, cool, cool. Well, that's uh, I I watch Daredevil on Netflix. Don't watch the Ben Affleck movie, um, and read this comic. Uh, did you see the news that Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner are splitting up after yeah. ten years of marriage or something? Yeah. And I just just think that Daredevil and Elektra are splitting up because yeah. they were both in that movie, right? 
Hey, you know what it That's is? What I they, everything was fine until he decided that he wanted to be, to be Batman. Batman. <laughs> and he's like, I'm leaving the Marvel Universe for DC. And she was like, you know what? That's the that's the straw. That's the straw that yeah, broke this camel's back. And we're filing. I'm filing for divorce. Um, yeah. Uh, cool. Well, why don't we jump into our last book? So our reader poll this month is a little book called Fables. And I think that... Uh, um, who was the one who... Uh, Car- Carl German is the one who, who suggested that we read Fables. And he didn't really give us a reason why. He just kind of told us what Fables was about. But and we already knew yeah, that we, we already wanted to knew. read it. No, no, uh, no explanation needed. Because this is... Uh, Fables is uh, critically acclaimed. It's uh, It's got a huge fan base. It's been running for quite a while now. Um, it's, actually, it's actually just wrapped up, I think. Um, or is in the process of wrapping Yeah, up. they're nearing the end. Um, um, 120, 150, I think, 150 issues? 150 issues, yeah. And this brings us back to nine, uh, 2002. Yeah. Um, or somewhere around there when, when this first started. And uh, um, I, I started reading Fables about a year ago, I think, and then plowed through all of the volumes. Um, I think I'm up to date now, except for the last the last one that's most recently come out. But... Uh, um, yeah, this this first volume, people told me that um, it was kind of a, a a poor start to the series, and people were like, "You gotta just kind of get through it, and then go to the second one," uh, and that's when when it really gets good. And while I agree that that's the case, the second one is where it kind of establishes more its its world and its purpose. Yeah. Um, this first volume is a lot of fun. Still, I really like it. Um, it's about uh, well, the whole concept of fables is that they've they the the char- the fairy tale characters have been driven out of their home world by some big bad called the adversary, and they are now living in I don't know New York or somewhere. Yeah. Um, just as regular people, um, trying to hide the the fact that they are fables that they are fairy tale characters. The ones who don't look human have to live off site at a farm. Yeah. Um, so we only get introduced in this volume really to to um the human looking ones like Snow White, um Jack, who comes from a bunch of different fables. Jack of the Tales, yeah. He so because Jack, Jack is of a, Fables. Yeah, 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 he's uh he's a character that is more of an amalgamation of a bunch of different characters, it turns yeah. out. Yeah. Which is great. I love the way they unfold his story as yeah. well. Um and then uh of course Big Bad Wolf. Yeah, in a human form, he's a werewolf, I guess, yeah. sort of like Big Big B, Big B Wolf. Which yeah. I love it. I love it when you give somebody fables and they're reading it and they're like Big B. What a that's such a weird name. Like, why is his name Big B Wolf? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> he's the big bad wolf, isn't he? Why don't they just Why don't they just give him an? It's like no, Big B, yeah. bad wolf. Big B. And it's like, I've had to explain it like four or five times to people. Yeah. yeah. And it's always like, people, they, they just look at you dumbfounded like, oh, I get it now. It's like, no, it's a... <laughs> it makes sense. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's great. A, it's a, it's it's a play, on, play on words. Um, yeah, Big B. I, Big B is one of the greatest comic book characters of all time. Um, and, uh, I mean, he is basically Wolverine for the most part, but, uh, but he's got his own idiosyncrasies as well. But, uh, yeah, he, it, the, the, the world that's established in this book, um, is actually like, it's a, it's a, I think it's a great starting point 
I really like the first one. Me too. Um, it does definitely get more into its own mythology in the second book and then moving forward. Um, yeah. Well, and this one plays like an episode of X-Files or something, or yeah. a, a cop procedural. Yeah, yeah. This because... is very much a, a noir story, yeah. of a, like a detective thing. and uh, um... Yeah, it's it's a Sherlock Holmes-type story, yeah. for sure, because yeah. he plays... Bigby Wolf is the town detective, yeah. Um, and then there's been a murder. Snow White's sister, Rose Red, um, her apartment's covered in blood and the body's nowhere to be found. Yeah. So they have to find out who's the killer, where's the body. Um, and they have to unravel this in this story arc. And that through that, we are introduced to a cast of characters yeah. because they go and interview people who they think might be involved. Um, and uh, and I just love the, the um, they call it the, the parlor scene at the end where yeah. he reveals how it was all done which there's a parlor scene in the daredevil book where mysterio there tells is. his yeah. whole thing and that was just like i it it was too much that really bogged down the story a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, um but they do it well in this one yeah because there's a lot there's a lot to uh there's a lot to clear up by the end of it because you kind of they they really they it's it's difficult to 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 put place myself back uh, in in the shoes of the person who read this the first time because it was quite a while ago I mean, I've I've been reading fables since I think about volume seven or eight was out was new so I got caught up very quick and then was reading as they were coming out right um, and I'm definitely not caught up right now because when you kind of have to wait for them to come out, you lose your momentum, I think. Yeah. I, and, uh, and so it gets to be a little bit more difficult, but having read this, it, one of the reasons why I wanted to, to choose this as the reader's poll was that uh, I wanted to rekindle that so that I could get back into it, jump right. back into the latest volume. Man. And a and, lot has uh, changed. All of yeah, these characters oh, are different. The, the world that they inhabit at the beginning, it's so fun to go back and sort of see where all the characters started um, they've been on earth in our realm, we should say, uh, for a few hundred years at this point, but nothing of consequence has ever really happened. Yeah. Um, there's a few flashbacks in later books to sort of give you like these little stories, these little things that happened here and there, but nothing, nothing too huge. Um, but what happens in this book essentially sets into motion I, I, a whole bunch of different things. But going through it and reading it the first time, I think that it was really... It's, uh, it's Bluebeard that you're... that you're expecting to turn out to be the guy who did it, right? Right. Especially, especially once he goes and he, like you, he's found cutting Jack to ribbons, basically, like, or about to... Um, in order yep. to find out what's going on, but that's also kind of the moment that you realize that he's probably innocent because why would he be there trying to figure this out uh, if that were weren't the case? But um, it's also one of the best scenes in the book because it's when Big B shows up as as the wolf as the wolf for the first time. Um, yeah, which they really change actually in the later issues because he's like a humanoid wolf. Well, here. he's got he has. He has a, an incredible amount of control over his powers, and uh, I don't really want to say why, because I don't want... If people are just reading the first volume and they want to read the rest, I think it's a really cool turn 
when you when you discover more of of Big Oh yeah, I'm just remembering that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I uh, like for instance, uh, Beast, we kind of know his curse, um, and they they have a cute little twist on it that that of course when she fell in love with him, the curse was broken. But if Belle falls out of love with him, or Beauty falls out of love with him, the curse starts to come he, back. He is ugly again. Um, <laughs> to the degree that she's not happy with him. So if they have little little fights here and there, he kind of he kind of beasts out a little bit. Um, and then later later on in the series, he ends up getting a little bit more control over that, and and can sort of transform back and forth at will. Um, through magic, through through a magic spell that that another that other characters give him, um, with Bigby, you kind of expect that that's what's going on with him, but it's much deeper than that. Right, and that's the that's kind of the tease that I'll give for people to to read that because it is it is one of the biggest parts of the the overarching narrative, I think. Um, but yeah, like I said, he's basically Wolverine. He's basically Logan, without the claws, and instead he actually just turns into a giant. Man beast, yeah, dog man, uh, werewolf, basically, um, which is exactly what you want, right? I mean, like it totally when when he starts to transform in that issue as he's sort of like running up the steps, uh, you're just like, oh man, this is exactly where you hope that something like this goes when you find out that he's the big bad wolf, um, and and to be honest, it's sort of alluded to but never flat out said until like you you're kind of not confirmed on that front. Until he does transform. Because the only other inkling that you get of it is... A, that he's done some bad things and he's reformed now. And everybody's kind of just waiting for him to to, to show his, his true nature as they refer to it. The other is that one of the, the three pigs crashes <laughs> on his couch. Yeah. To, uh, and, and, and sort of like uh, uh, says to him, like, you owe me. Uh, for for blowing down my house and and he goes well, it was made of it wasn't so much a house as it was a pile of straw but okay, um, uh, but yeah it, the just the universe that's created in this first book is is the reason to read it, um, and I, I I mentioned last month that that there's kind of an equivalent to it on TV right now called Once Upon a Time but Once Upon a Time if you're a fan of that. Is the far inferior version of this story. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and they still claim even even uh, uh, Bill Willingham supports the idea that Once Upon a Time is not a ripoff of Fables and is its own idea. Um, but ABC optioned, had the rights. Yeah. They optioned Fables a very long time ago. Like basically, as soon as it became a critically acclaimed book. They snapped up the license, um, which and is weird then, because it should be it's Vertigo, so it should be held think by Warner, be Warner Brothers, Brothers, right? Yeah, um, but uh, uh, they just kind of sat on it for a really long time, and there were always rumors of the show being in development. It's in development. They're trying to make it, and then all of a sudden, the show Once Upon a Time uh, started being talked about, and people were like, "Oh, maybe this is that Fables show because it's ABC. It's." Disney is the one developing it, and they're the ones who own the rights. And uh, and then it turned out to be something completely different. Um, it shares a lot of the same ideas, same core concepts, but 
it does not execute half as well. Oh no! As this. Yeah, definitely not. Um, the, yeah, the, the nice thing about this one is that even from this very beginning, this very first one, you can you get a sense that Bill William has has a huge big picture yeah. already in mind. Yeah, he's got a plan. Um, with um, and this is a self-contained story. Yeah. So you could read this, and and not pick up any more no. fables and be totally satisfied. Um, however, there's all of the backstory that they hint with the adversary, um, yeah. which uh, just now knowing, going back to it, having read all these other volumes, there are so many threads that are started right in this very first volume yeah. that uh, that are, aren't of any consequence here, so you don't need to, to, to know or to follow up on any of them, but they're there. Yeah. The I think just the main the main thing that happens in this book that sets everything into motion for the rest of the series is uh, is Rose Red, um, and by the end of it, it turns out that she's not dead; that she faked her own death in order to for her so that she and Jack could uh, abscond with Bluebeard's money, um, yep. and he would be none the wiser. But uh, I, because of that. She ends up being displaced from Fable Town, and that she goes, to the, she goes to the farm, which is what the second volume is about, um, which titled Animal Farm, and uh, that's when that's when the larger mythology starts to come into play. That's yeah. when like the sort of these prophecies and and uh, it's I, I always find it interesting because people will look at it as as contrivance a lot of the time, and you and you hear people. Say you know when you when they watch an Avengers movie or whatever, it's like oh yeah, real convenient that all this stuff is happening now, and it's like yeah, that's why this one's a movie. <laughs> that's why there's not a movie about the two years in between the the Avengers movies because yeah. nothing happened that required Avengers. So now that something happens, and that's what requires the Avengers. So uh, I always find it interesting when you come into a story that's somewhat in progress, but you come in just when things start to get good. Right. Right? Um, and there's all of this backstory and all of this history. Star Wars does it really well, of, like, you start at episode four when the story really starts to get good. Right. right? You, you don't start at episode one. You go back later. Um, and Fables does that super, super well. Um, just sort of starting, like I said, two, three hundred years into the exile of these characters into into our world. Uh, as they call it, the Mundy world, um, and uh, and and ends up being a, a for the very uh, low key, self contained story that this first volume is. The series as a whole is incredibly epic, like just the scope of oh, it yeah. is incredible. It, and yeah. every time you think that they've introduced everything that they possibly could, they'll turn around and go. No, because of this, 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 and this, we can now tap these characters and bring them in. I mean, when Jack of Fables eventually gets his own spin-off series, and that's where they really explore the concept of it, because there's a larger concept at work where, like, if if characters from fairy tales are real, like, why are they real? And it ends up being that, you know, there's sort of like, a, and they've actually started ripping this off on Once Upon a Time. There's sort of like an, uh, uh, there's a connection between uh, writers uh, and the popularity of a piece and that 
informing like how powerful a character one of the characters in fables actually is um and that basically all of the fictional worlds that we tap into in our world through through all of our our entertainment writing movies whatever um they pull from actual real worlds and so jack ends up not just being a part of fairy tale stuff he goes to like john carter-esque uh sci-fi <laughs> worlds and like just sort of like gallivants around all manner of of places um as including like americana and stuff like that like there's there the the concept at first seems like it's really simple but like you said uh, uh bill willingham from the get-go had grandiose plans yeah and most of the time that doesn't work but he's managed to pull it off. So. Well, and most sometimes it doesn't even work in his stuff oh, too. Yeah. There are yeah. there are definitely lulls through the series, yeah. and these last few story arcs I haven't been too impressed with because it just seems like it's meandering, and yeah. um, the story is kind of wrapped up already. Yeah. But he's extending it a little longer, so um, that, that that definitely does happen. But uh, um, I think it was a smart move to make this story um, for for us who don't know anything about fables to introduce yeah. us to just the human characters yes because if they had introduced us to all of the weird bizarre talking yeah. pigs and everything like that all at once it wouldn't i don't think it would have caught on as fast no. so instead we get to it we are introduced to the characters we can relate to because they're human and we're yeah. human um or seemingly human or seemingly human acting doing human things yeah uh with little hints of of things that are weird yeah. because it's a vertical book so you know that that's gonna gonna happen yeah. um but uh, and then in the second volume, then we're introduced to the rest of the fables who can't show their face because they look different yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, I also think that telling this type of detective story in comics is really is quite different than you know watching watching a, an episode of Sherlock because you watch an episode of Sherlock and yeah. he does the parlor scene and he explains the whole thing and talks fast and does all his stuff and then they show little bits when flashbacks of, of yeah. uh, like this is this happened and you're you're like oh yeah I guess so um, but you don't go back and yeah. and see if that was really the case when we first unless you rewatch the episode but for this one when he's doing the parlor scene and he's like telling how everything is possible I flip yeah. back to the beginning to see if that was actually drawn into those first panels. And yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, all of, I, if I was paying attention, or if I was a good detective, I could yeah. have seen this stuff too. <laughs> so that's, um, I think it's a. interesting oh, yeah. way like, to do that. Uh, he brings up the point of the stereo, and you go back and you look at the crime scene, and if you, you're right, like if you were keen-eyed, there's a panel at the beginning where he looks at the stereo and there's no blood on and it and there's no blood on it yeah. and you're like you kind of look at it and you you can just glance past it but Bigby doesn't miss this stuff yeah. and that's what makes him a good detective right and uh, uh Bill Willingham knows who did it yeah and that's why he's able to write a good noir <laughs> right. mystery um and it's why it's like he knows where he's going with all this stuff which is why I think Fables tends to be pretty solid throughout. And you're right, like it, I, I, Johnny, uh, who owns Metropolis Comics and Toys here in Vancouver, in Burnaby technically, um, he's the one who introduced me to the comic. And when he introduced me to it and I started to get into it, he was like, yeah, the first few volumes, like the first volume's kind of eh, the second volume's where it picks up, and it's pretty solid up until like five or six. 
and then things start to kind of like because they wrap up the first the first story and then he has to kind of establish where he's going next yeah and so then what ends up happening is you end up with a volume of sort of you of this of this sort of story where you're just kind of focusing more on the characters than you are on the epic scope uh just sort of like checking in with everybody to see where they all are how things are and then the next volume will be the one where they enact some crazy plan and yeah. you know fight which, whoever the big bad is which is fine when you're reading it in volumes yeah but well, if you were reading single issues like issue. six months goes by with yeah. just that happening like yeah. that's that's a, a risk you're taking yeah. one of the things i really like about uh fables the way they've uh worked with their artists um yeah starting in the second volume mark buckingham becomes the regular artist which yeah. i love his work yes um it, it's fantastic and oh, his the he he does, and as the series goes on, it gets more and more elaborate. He does these incredible frames on yeah, his panels, which kind of like like illuminations, like you'd see in ancient manuscripts and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's really nice. and um, and if you're keen, much like that detective stuff in the first book, if you're really keen eyed, you can look at them and you can tell where the story's going. Right. right. Oh, it's, yeah. There's a yeah, lot. They of relate stuff to the that, characters yeah. that are being talked about in that page. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, like a lot of the stuff with with Boy Blue gets sort of for, foreshadowed in in his page margins. Oh, yeah. Long before anything happens. I'm gonna have to yeah. revisit that. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I think one of the hardest things about going back and reading this first one is that it isn't uh, Mark Buckingham doing the illustration yeah. because he really kind of owns a lot of these characters yeah. in particular big b and the art in this one is good it is good but it's, it's pretty yeah. standard vertical yeah. art yeah. for this time it's uh it's, it doesn't stand out but mark buckingham definitely has his own style um he used to be the anchor for chris Batchelow um back when he was doing generation x and so a lot of his artwork is really um influenced by mm. chris Batchelow's work and um and you can see that come out if you if you know their styles um but Mark Buckingham also isn't the fastest penciler, so he takes um, it, so instead of the you know the standard practice for Marvel is that if you don't can't do your whole thing in in thirty days, um, they'll just bring in some Joe Blow artist to finish those last two pages yeah. of the issue, and and throw it out the door. Um, but the way that they work this now is each story arc for each volume of the graphic novels about maybe eight. To ten issues it's actually yeah. they're actually quite a bit larger yeah they um are. so that uh and they have mark um bill willingham will write side stories that will be done by a different artist yeah so that the main story is all mark buckingham and he can take a couple months to get ahead of himself or yeah. to catch up or whatever yeah. he needs um but without compromising, without having to get a yeah. fill-in artist to fill in the and, last couple And you know what? For me, with Fables, the hardest part with every volume is, is reading you get those, to the those end, stories. You get to the yeah. side stories, and you're like, I really don't care exactly. what Flycatcher is doing. It doesn't have anything to do with the main storyline. Yeah. Um, yeah, you yeah. just skim over those ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate that, though, So because yes. I like the yeah. consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which doesn't happen very often in comics these days because of what you're saying, what you're talking about. Like a, a, an artist, uh, for instance, Humberto Ramos has been announced as the artist for Extraordinary X-Men uh, starting in, I think, September. And I'm really excited about it. 
it'll probably last six issues and then somebody else will come on for two issues yep. and then he'll come back for two issues and then he'll be gone for three and then he'll come back for yep. one and then he won't be on the book anymore. And it's like, <laughs> it, this is what happens with him with Spider-Man all the time uh, when he was, when he was drawing for like superior. superior. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it drives me nuts because you get, you really get a feeling for, especially when it's a consistent writer um, you get a feeling for the the rhythms of that story and the way that those two artists work together, um, and then and then it gets broken by these other people coming and it's like you're not you're not moving the story along as well as Humberto Ramos was or you know you the way that you draw Peter Parker as Otto Octavius is not the same and yeah. you're not selling it for me <laughs> so I always like it when when a team can remain consistent and these two uh, uh, from volume two onward managed to be pretty consistent yeah all and mark, the way throughout. mark buckingham has stayed he, until the end yeah um in fact he hasn't he just started a new book i think i can't remember i think he's he's on a new book now so uh, i don't maybe, know if that means possibly. he's doing two books at once yeah um or if he's, or if he's uh, just left done. yeah but uh yeah he's on something else now i can't remember i'll have to check that out yeah. But yeah, he's a he's a guy to watch for because his artwork is great. Cool. Well, uh, I think that does it for Fables, which kind of brings us to the end of our episode yeah. and our polls for next month. So uh, Why don't you go first? I'll go first? Yeah. Okay. So my poll is uh, something near and dear to my heart. It's the first comic uh, of this kind that we're, that we're bringing in. Um, uh, from the Sonic the Hedgehog series, which Sonic is how I started in comics. Uh, the first series that I ever collected on a monthly basis was Sonic the Hedgehog. Nice. And, uh, and so uh, Sonic, uh, uh, which is uh, uh, done by the Archie Adventure series imprint. I don't know if they're still Archie Adventure series or if they just call them Archie now. But, um, but this is... And are you still collecting it to this day? I am not still collecting it. So I stopped around issue 222. Oh, nice. Um, actually, I shouldn't say around. I stopped on 222 because I have every issue of Sonic the Hedgehog from number 1 to 222, including the four issues, the the issue 0 and the three-part miniseries that were before they started the, the ongoing. Series, yeah. um, so I've got everything except issue number 2. So when I decided oh. that I was kind of done because I was just buying them and putting them away, like as I wasn't reading them anymore, um, I decided that two twenty two was a pretty good place to stop. <laughs> two two two. Yeah. <laughs> um, it makes up for the fact that I don't have issue number two. I, but I when when they announced this, when they announced that Mega Man was coming to the Archie comic line, uh, sort of like this video game adventure line that they had. Um, I thought it was really cool because it, it was an opportunity for, for that character to be sort of the same thing that Sonic the Hedgehog is for a lot of comic book readers, which is their first comic. Um, and Sonic remains to be one of those really easy, approachable, kid-friendly books that when a kid graduates from something like Bone uh, or, you know, I, I sort of sillier like comic strip comics into into more of a a narrative overarching narrative comic. Um, they've got these Sonic and Mega Man comics waiting. So I was excited when they announced (laughs) Mega Man and then they announced that they would be doing a Sonic the Hedgehog Mega Man crossover. (laughs) 
And it's a huge epic. And I've been waiting for them to put the whole story together. It was two volumes because they sort of, I think they did six issues of each comic. So they ended up splitting it into two volumes. But what we'll be reading is Sonic the Hedgehog, Mega Man, Worlds Collide, the complete epic, which is, uh, it's the whole story. So if you have the two volumes, it's the two volumes. Otherwise, uh, this comes out in July. Like It comes out towards the end of this month. So the two volumes are already out. The two volumes are already out. So you can find them on, on shelves right now. But this is... This is a, a singular collected yeah. volume right. of it, so that's what that's that's my pick, and so it's I I'm really excited because it's actually uh, people had a lot of really good things to say about it, and Sonic comics have been kind of silly for the last little while, um, basically since the the early 2010s they kind of got a little bit lost and a little bit obnoxious, but it feels like they've sort of pulled it back in and tightened it back up to where it was when I was reading it as a kid. So. Which is what Archie's doing with all other comics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm really excited to read this, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that it, uh, that it lives up to the expectation that I have for it. But Good. Uh, that's my pick. Good. Well, and because um, we have to throw in a Marvel or DC book every time, <laughs> I don't know if we have to, but um, I decided to actually throw in the superhero book for this month. Um, cool. I'm, I'm, but it's a little different. It's Batman Year 100, um, probably playing on the whole year one thing that DC yeah. likes to do with their characters. So this one's by uh, Paul Pope and Jose Villaruba, and, uh, Villarubia, I guess, pardon my pronunciation. Um, but we know Paul Pope, if, you're, if you've been listening to this podcast, um, because he, Paul Pope did Battling Boy, which we talked about several months ago. Yeah. Um, I love his style. I love his writing. So I'm eager to check out his take on Batman and see what, what he throws at us. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Should, it looks fantastic. Yeah. It should really be a lot excited. of fun. Short and sweet. I don't need to say anything more about that. Cool. And then, uh, and then our, our reader poll is actually a first for us. Um, and it is Hench Girl, um, which is, I, uh, I, sorry, who's the, who's the artist? It's by writer? Kristen Gudsnuck. Okay. Um, and this is, it's a webcomic. And I know, like, uh, Delilah Dirk is technically a webcomic, or started as a webcomic, but we read the, the, the print version. The print version. Yeah. We'll actually be reading the webcomic version of this. So, um, which is really great, because it means that everybody out there who wants to read along with us, this is possibly the most accessible book that we've done because well, all you got to do is go to the website. We might have to put a start, stopping point because I yes. don't know if they're collected into chapters or stories or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, there um, are there are issues, and I haven't, uh, I haven't done the homework yet to figure out where that stopping point is. But um, for those who are interested to read along with us, when, when Curtis posts the... the breakdown of our polls for this month we'll we'll, have we'll make sure written. to have that yeah. in there so that you guys know how much of it to read but yeah um, you can go to henchgirl dot uh that's where she posts all of there her you stuff go. Um, now it's, hopefully hopefully it's as good as it looks because I, I really like the art um in which case i'll probably just read all of it um <laughs> yeah well and it looks like she's only posted a page 185 so that's not that's yeah. not yeah, uh, that's too not bad ton, at all so um and uh, hopefully you'll be able to fly through it. Now, I'm just looking at her website, and yeah. on June 30th, two days ago, 
she actually posted that Hench Girl issue number one is currently in Diamond Previews catalog. Cool. So she's actually got a contract now or, or something. Something's happened that she's uh, she's making progress. So that's really awesome. encouraging to hear. Yeah. So I think she had, because uh, on, on the site there there is an ability to purchase uh, issues. So I think that she may have independently produced some stuff already. But uh, but to have that, uh, it's perfect timing, I think. Yep. Um, so as we, as we dig into Hench Girl, uh, it's, uh, it's about to come out in comic book stores. So, I uh, so when the Hench Girl movie comes out a few years from now, <laughs> you can say, yeah, I read that when it was a web comic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you read along with us. So that's all, all the more incentive. You can have some hipster cred. Yep. Uh, when, when the inevitable happens, I think so. So cool. The, so those are our polls. We've got Batman Year One Hundred, uh, Sonic, Mega Man, Worlds Collide, uh, uh, Epic Collection, <laughs> and uh, and Hench Girl at henchgirlcomic.com. So, nice. um, yeah, I think I think that's it. I think that's it too. Cool. Do we have any announcements? Um, no. But as always, you know, I, I head to Pullbox Podcast. Dot com for uh, all of the information on past comics that we've read, as well as previous episodes, and uh, and the reviews that we have up on the site um, that, that are books that we have not talked about on the podcast necessarily. So, um, And send us some mail. We'd love to hear from yes. you. You can send it to thepullboxpodcast at gmail.com. Send some suggestions on what we should read, yes. or give us some comments on what we're currently reading, or what we've read in the past. If you hear yes. something on an episode that you totally don't agree with, uh, let us know, and we will address yeah. it in a future episode. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pullboxpodcast and on Twitter at pullboxpodcast. Uh, and, of course, if you enjoy this podcast, there's more where that came from at thunderquack.com where you can check out all of the other great podcasts in the Thunderquack uh, Podcast Network, including our soon-to-be-released brand-new podcast, uh, The Double X-Files, which is uh, obviously about the X-Files, but uh, uh, the double X is referring to our, our uh, uh, all-female hosting team oh. on that. So uh, Courtney and Allison are going to dig deep into the X-Files. Uh, Allison is a snarky critic of the X-Files, and uh, uh, Courtney is a... Uh, uh, scared witless of the content of the X Files, <laughs> so uh, they're they're trying to uh, go through the show. Um, they actually have only uh, uh, Allison's only seen the first season, and uh, and Courtney's only seen sort of like episodes here and there. Oh from wow! When so she this was is a the kid. first time for most. So of yeah, so a lot. This Whoa. is a this is a revisit for for some episodes, but for the most part, it'll be brand new to them. I love that um, series. Which is yeah. which I think is exciting, and I never really watched the X Files either, so oh, you uh, it it's all on Netflix, it. and I'm going to watch along with them. Good. That's my plan. Um, it's so great. Try and conquer some of my own spooky fears <laughs> um, uh, along with along with them. So you can find that at doublexfiles.com, uh, and obviously by going to thunderquack.com and checking that out. Uh, and uh, and we would be remiss if we did not mention our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash thunderquack where uh, you can you can uh, sign up, support us uh, in our podcasting efforts, uh, kick in a little bit of, of cash, uh, uh, and we appreciate that. And in return, we'll give you some cool rewards like 
hanging out in our Patreon exclusive uh, Thunder Quack uh, Facebook group, or uh, you know, if you even wanted to come on one of the podcasts, there are options there as well. So has anyone done that yet? I uh, Andy from the uh, the Flash podcast has uh, as of. This month, as of July, he has banked he's met the quota. two episodes. Oh. Two episodes because he's been supporting us at the $50 level since wow. since uh, January. So, he's, so awesome. he's got two episodes that he can just ask us for any time of his favorite podcast. <laughs> and I'm What's sure he going to pick, Quiver? Uh, I think he'll probably pick Quiver for one of them. I don't know what he'll pick for, for the other one. It may be Maybe another Quiver, Quiver. Event, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, those options are there for, for those who want to take advantage. Nice. And, uh, and we appreciate everybody who heads over there. Because it is 100% optional. Of course, all of our podcasts, all of our content's free. Um, and and it's, it'll always be free. Uh, but, uh, but you can get some pretty cool perks by heading to patreon.com slash thunderquack. Uh, but that, that does it. We're all done. Woo! Yay. So uh, it's, a, it's a very hot July evening. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye to you guys. Thank you for listening along, and uh, and we'll we'll catch you next month. And as always, keep reading those comic books. Oh,